Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Today's episode is about how to harness the power of your intuition with Laura Day. Laura Day is a New York Times bestselling author and world-renowned psychic to the stars. She spent three decades teaching others how to tap into their intuition, which we'll get into in the show. And her work centers on helping us understand our intuition and how to use it in the fields of business, science, medicine, as well as personal growth. And her clientele includes top organizations, executives from Fortune 500 companies, and some A-list celebrities like Demi Moore, Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt, Gwen Peltro, to name a few. I'm so excited to welcome Laura Day. So thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So Laura, can you talk to us about what intuition actually means and what does it mean to use our intuition once we have it? So you you are always intuitive and you can't get rid of it even when you want to. And later in the interview, I'm going to talk about why you want it tamp down some of the intuition. But intuition is non-local perception. So it's the ability to go to or experience or predict things that are not directly around you. So for example, precognition is telling the future. Telepathy is to be able to send and receive messages from other people around you, even at different points in time, in the future, in the past, a remote viewing, which has been extensively studied and verified and demonstrated, mostly by the military, is the ability to describe a location you have never seen before based on, for example, coordinates. So intuition is a multi-spoked umbrella, but what it really is, is every person's ability to move all of their senses, sight, smell, even thought, in time and space, and then to verify it, to prove it against what will happen or what is actually happening. And how is that different than instinct? Instincts are basically biological functions. So, you know, you'll feel danger But a feeling isn't an intuition. An intuition is someone behind me has a knife, run. So its instincts are are animal brain functions. Intuition is literally data that we have going through us all the time, but, but it doesn't catch on anything enough for us to see it because we also have emotions running through us and experience and stimulus and all kinds of other things. So, so, so intuition is a very detached state and people confuse often intuition with feeling, which it's not opposite end of the spectrum, creativity, also opposite end of the spectrum. Intuition is really having a goal, a question, a survival need, and immediately getting information about it. That's intuition. And Laura, you know, it's interesting in my life, I've spent most of my life in my head, in my analytical mind, and only recently, maybe, you know, five years ago, spent time at uh, this place called the Academy of Intuition Medicine. And it was so hard for me because I was so trained to look at the world uh, through just one lens and one filter of reality. And 
uh, I think, you know, my perspective is that the more analytical you are, the actually, it's more difficult sometimes to be objective and detached, how you call uh, this kind of a detached awareness. So I, I'm wondering, like, what are some practices that, that people can do in order to strengthen their intuition? Well, first of all, I, I have the way that I both teach and define um, intuition is very analytical. It is the, the difference is your data is coming from outside of anything you've been exposed to. So my best students are, for example, uh, people like commodity traders or mathematicians. Uh, emotionality and experience gets in the way and habit get in the way of intuition. But an analytical mind is actually very important to be able to interpret the data that intuition gives us. One of the best ways to begin to do that, because once again, everybody's getting so much, too much information all of the time that's useless to them because it's all mushed up in a soup with everything else that goes on inside of you is to know what are your questions, what are your goals, what do you want information about, who do you want to make contact with, for example, what are what are the future uh, elements that you want to prepare for now and maybe even speed up their course, what are, you know, to really have not a list of a thousand things, because then once again, it's like a messy shoe closet, you can never find two of the <laughs> same kind, but to to have what are your four or five basic questions or 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 intuitive functions that you want answered so the difference between a question and a function is a question would be um how how can i make this album a success um or what's johnny doing right now um or or how can I get a yes from this audition? Uh, a function is you're wondering how uh, someone's feeling or you know someone's in distress. And so you want to ground and comfort them. And you use your telepathy. You, you, you use that intuition to be present with them. Um, a function is also uh, you know your child's taking a test and they haven't studied a section of algebra. And so you keep sensing and repeating what it is they're missing so that they don't forget the formula on the test. Uh, so there are lots of different, you know, intuition allows us to do so many things, but it starts with really being clear and making choices with your goals and questions. And writing them down because the mind's a messy place. <laughs> yeah. But I, can I tell you a psychic thing you did? Because we're all having these <laughs> little psychic moments. So you had sent me a list of questions ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And one of them was, you consulted Demi Moore in the movie Ghost, blah, 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 blah. Well, part of the reason that I was a little late for this interview is out of the blue, Demi and the three girls amazing, her amazing daughters came over and they left literally five minutes before, I mean, the French fries were still on the table before the interview. So for example, I've worked with a lot of people. How did you pick that out of the blue? Well, that's intuition. It's a kind of merging. Mm. And you and I, before the interview started, because we're both so intuitive, 
and because we were having some technology problems, got one of us got distracted, then the other got giggly, then we were totally in peals of giggle, and we became in a sense, the same person, even though we're at a distance geographically. I mean, it's the kind of thing you do with your college roommate. So those are all intuitive functions that we don't notice. And it's, it is so important to notice them because it's also when you're having a perfectly good day or a perfectly good life, and all of a sudden you feel a sense of doom. You've always got to say, okay, I'm porous. That's what intuition teaches me. Whose sense, first of all, is it doom? If so, I need to get more information. But usually it's that someone you're close to is having a bad moment and you're experiencing it. Mm. So it's, it's so important to both develop and prove your intuition, verify it, but also to make sure that you are full of you, that you practice mindfulness. So other people aren't always in you. Other people's thoughts and projections and judgments aren't always in you. So you're not getting confused by too much information. So part of being a really brilliant intuitive and part of what I train people to do is before you do any intuitive work, shut it down. And the way you shut it down is mindfulness. What am I feeling, smelling, seeing, feeling, hearing, thinking, experiencing? What point am I at in time space right now in this moment? Let me bring it in to this exact moment and really experience me. And from there, all of a sudden, if your questions are written down, if you know what your targets are, all of a sudden, other information very clearly comes in, at which point you document it. Because the only difference between psychic and psychotic is that your information is right. Mm, so fascinating. Yeah, I I can, you know, it's interesting that you talked about merging and uh, the Demi Moore piece earlier, because I, I know you've been a psychic to so many stars, but that it's, it's hard to explain what intuition feels like to me. Um, because I don't feel like I have the right language for it, but I, it's almost like someone's like highlighting something or nudging or like turning my neck to like, look at something when I need to pay attention to something, if that makes any sense. Um, absolutely. I mean, I think that one of the reasons that a reading can be so transformative and on my Instagram, people, even novices, I have them reading each other all the time is that you in your own life. You're full of every moment of your history. You're experiencing all of your attachments. There's so much to do. There's so much happening. And we go back to that messy shoe closet again. It's hard to find anything. And, you know, our daily tasks are no joke. I mean, you know, we all, even if we think we're doing nothing, I guarantee you're doing more than you think. So someone outside of you will, will notice almost like a map of your life and say, oh, wait. Um, you're about to get a call from an old friend and I think he has a job interview for you and you're about to get fired too. So maybe you should put those two things together and lo and behold, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's the thing about verifying those things happen and you're prepared for them. And once again, it starts with mindfulness. Everyone's trying to be more intuitive. It's more important to be more mindful and then to have a methodology for getting the information you want and making sure it's not information that makes you loco, 
For example, you know, not wanting to know what your ex-partner is doing that you broke up with, that is, that's really a psychiatric issue, a therapy issue. It's not, of course, you can use intuition to get all that kind of information, but it only harms you. You see, you want to also use intuition to, to fill your goals. What are you building? What's important to you? And once again, once you clarify those, or at least begin to ask the questions to clarify them, intuition will automatically really push you without you being consciously aware of it sometimes in directions that are very new, very unique, and, and bring people in because you will have shifted your energy, bring people and experiences in that, that allow you to make the changes you want to make. And Laura, you talk about uh, asking questions, and I think that's so powerful, right? Because so many people, I think, are living life maybe reflexively or defensively and not really actively. Um, and so what is the process for that? You know, how do you, do you ask a handful of questions and then sit in meditation after you've become mindful? Uh, do you just ask these questions every day? You know, I think that sometimes, uh, and I'm sure that other people feel this way, we can feel so limited by the existing construct of our reality that we can't see all the possibilities outside, you know, like the, like tomorrow could be like a life changing day for me. And I have no idea, right. Like that, that that's possible. Um, and I'm sure that that's true for a lot of people. And so, yeah, I'm just curious, like what's the sort of process. And I feel like I've, I've done a lot of this work of asking questions, but I think it, it just takes so much diligence to, to just continue to do it and to, to just trust. Maybe that's the right word to trust. But it, but it shouldn't, you know, I, I don't meditate. And actually, you know, if you think about it, if you did all the things that you're supposed to do for 20 minutes a day for your own mental, physical, and spiritual health, you'd have no time to have a day. So, um, <laughs> I, I truly, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't meditate. Um, I, I, I'm, and I don't think meditation actually helps intuition. Um, I, I find that once again, mindfulness, which is literally while you're brushing your teeth, put your full attention on your being in this moment, brushing your teeth, uh, as you're tasting a bite of food, you're tasting it. What are you feeling? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Like in your environment, start by being by being um, present. I think people magicalize intuition too much. Um, you know, companies hire me, for example, with COVID to predict uh, which vaccine will be most effective. And then even if it won't be most effective, which vaccine stock will go up the highest? <laughs> you know, what are, what, so how do you find your questions? I actually think we're just made up of questions and what the real thing, what the real goal is, what are your important questions? So right now for me, for example, an important question is how do I create the most healthy integrated family? that I can create? Um, that is a question. And that is, and I don't spend a lot of time on it. I do, though, write it down. And I, I, I have a process that I do called the circle, where I really work on one goal until it's achieved. And then in the circle, because your life is made up of many things, 
are those other pieces of your pie. So yes, my main goal um, as, a, as a mother, as a partner, as a sister, as a daughter, my main goal as a friend is to be a good part of my community uh, in this moment. And I, I've had other goals. When I was single and my son was leaving for college and you know, it was my first really year single, my goal was I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. My 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 main goal was I, I want a partner to share this life with. Um, so, you know, goals can be different things at different times. So it's important to have your front runner goal. What is really your purpose in this moment? What do you want desperately with all of your heart? And you have to have a goal that's juicy because if it's a goal like, yeah, I should be more organized or I should get a better paying job or, you know, if it's a goal that doesn't have your subconscious on board, you're working against yourself. So what you want to do is streamline the process. What do you want really more than anything right now? And then part of the process of doing an intuitive reading, whether it's for a person or a company, and part of the process of being a solid intuitive for your own life is, okay, this is my goal, but now there are other pieces of my life that are really important. What are those pieces and how do they work with my goal? So you, in a sense, tie your life together. And it that in itself is a process and a process of questioning. So how do I have my main goal of having this wonderfully integrated family? How do I have my main goal and still respond to my career? How do I have this main goal and still, you know, whatever the rest of the pieces of my pie are, uh, meet certain, I, I don't know, financial goals for some of you younger people or so what are the other pieces of my pie that are important? And then what you'll notice is you, what you notice literally during your day is different. You will get out of the blue hits that come over and over again because intuition isn't a whisper. Intuition is more like being clubbed over the head. Once you have your goals, your targets, intuition is going to nag you like my son accuses me of nagging him over and over. Did you brush your teeth? Did you brush your teeth? Oh, that's interesting. Did you brush your teeth? Oh, nice. Did you brush your teeth? <laughs> and and people shouldn't trust their intuition because trust is about belief. And belief is about things you can't prove. You you document your questions and then you notice what comes out of left field as you go through your day. Don't make it a big extra process. And then you document these things so that you can act on them and remember them and verify them. And then as that happens, what happens as that's proven, what happens is that your subconscious allows more of that to be available to you. And one of the things I really, really counsel people to do is go online and look at all of the convincing verified research on things like precognition and telepathy, because it has been studied and documented. And now is a cool time in science, because now we can see that the human untrained brain, I'm not talking about brilliant psychics, the human brain responds to an image a computer in the future will generate randomly. 
So you are always precognitive. The real question is, how do I use it to enhance my life? Mm. Wow. You said so many things, Laura. I want to unpack a couple of them. But I think, um, you know, Einstein actually had said this about uh, things he didn't understand. I think he called it spooky action at a distance. Right. Uh, Right. And I think so many people... uh, maybe who have not explored this world, because it's, it's kind of mind blowing to me that so many people have just said, no, that that stuff is not proven and there's no real data. There's no real science behind it. Uh, when there, there in fact is, I think people are just choosing not to read it, uh, or accept it maybe. Um, so I, I love that you are, um, sharing that. Are, are there any sites that we can point folks to or any studies? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, Mamadi's medical center actually in the 19th, 50s, and this was back when it was on film, we didn't even have video or tape, did did some very conclusive research on telepathy, on dream telepathy. Um, if you go to pubmed.com and put in precognition, you will find so many studies. One of the problems is, and I usually write these names down because they're so difficult, I can't remember them, but they're things like the random non-local paradigm of events in a in a blah, blah, blah. Like they use these, this long scientific language for this. Um, also there's a lot of, uh, data from military research on remote viewing that has now been made available to the public. I mean, that, that not only that this exists, but that everyone can do it mm-hmm. is it has been, uh, has been verified. Now, of course, like anything else, Training counts, and it counts because differentiating, having a process between feeling, hope, fear, experience, misinformation, you know, fake news, uh, being able to differentiate between that and intuitive data does have a process, and you do have to practice it, just like you had to learn how to control emotions and behaviors from the age of two to the age of 20, you know, to make it useful. And just like we train our intellect over 22 odd years, at the very least, training your intuition, which is another one of your organic innate skills, does take some some time. And the reason that we don't train it, is that as children, it is actually smart to channel intuition into things like uh, curiosity, creativity, because you don't want a child, you know, when people talk about making their children more intuitive, I want to smack them, because you you certainly don't want a child to, to be able to... Um, see a a war zone on the news and go there, you know, astral project there. You don't want them in your bedroom when you're fooling around with your partner. Uh, You don't want them feeling other people's feelings. You want them to learn to acknowledge their own. And, and so it's what happens when you're a child is that the, what I call consensus reality, the structure of intellect, community rules, um, the parents, adults, they're barriers to all of this information. And so this information comes out through, for example, intuition may help a child interested in math 
all of a sudden know better mathematical processes or may help an artistic child use their body and their sight in a way that will create something. And one of the ways that you can tell what's going to come up for a child is, is, and I don't recommend that you do a lot of this with children, but you can say, okay, you're, you're afraid about school tomorrow. I, I wonder if we draw drew a picture of a your wonderful first day of school, what it would look like. And I'm talking about pre-verbal children. And they'll draw a picture and then you say, oh, okay, now tell me about the picture. And they'll tell you about the picture and you write it down as, as they tell you. And what you'll find is there may be real things like, like I'm hungry and there's no lunch and you forgot actually that at this school you're supposed to pack a lunch. That child does a prediction for themselves. But you want to keep children really grounded in the moment. Once people become adults, you want to train intuition because they need to be able to anticipate the future accurately to, in the present, create better outcomes. You know, you want to solve a problem as an adult before it happens. As a child, you want the problem to happen so you develop those ego skills and you can function as a human being. And I think one reason that most naturally psychically gifted, uh, cursed, whatever, children um, turn out not to be people who make livings or are successful in the world is because, um, they, they weren't, they weren't grounded. They weren't given those appropriate boundaries. You know, our really successful psychics are our top stock traders, our, you know, brilliant mathematicians, our incredible medical research scientists, because they're using their intuition to create better outcomes, and they're doing it very organically. Wow. So fascinating. And the story about uh, the child drawing pictures, um, I love that so much because I just never really thought about using art forms to even predict uh, future. Um, Laura, I want to talk about this point because I think it's so fascinating. I'm sure that people have questions about it. When it comes to the future, because you're, you know, you talk about precognition, how much of that is fixed? Like is, is, you know, knowing it, uh, you know, 80% accurate, like, or do you have any kind of, um, I don't know, frameworks for us to understand that and like how yes. much we can change it? Yeah, absolutely. So my, um, my practice is I train intuitives and when they're trained, I send them clients and I train them to data. So I, I, and they work with all different kinds of, you know, some of them are therapists. And so they add it to that practice or body workers. And some of them are just straight intuitives, but the, my clients now at this stage of my life are mostly companies and they're companies I've had for 30 years. So I am predicting for them, and if I were wrong too much, they'd fire me. Um, it, but what I'm predicting for them accurately is what they don't have control over. So, for example, with COVID, I predicted for a company what happened to the market, to the stock market, and the time it would happen. Um, so we prediction 
in a sense, if you think that there are so many possible futures, and in a sense, they all exist already, um, you, you can pick different futures by making different choices in the present. Um, and I know, I know the question you're asking, and it's a very, it really is a complex question. You cannot change a stock market crash, but as I did in 2008, you can sell all of your stocks before the market crashes. Now you can change, for example, the dissolution of a relationship in advance by using intuitive techniques that, that, that make you aware that the relationship will end and why it will end and allow you then the choice to do something differently. Um, And the question of if you should even do something differently, because, oh my God, I'm so thrilled. I'm not with the first, you know, the first (laughs) marriage I had or the the relationship after that. So, So you, the future, you can always make a different choice. Human beings are alchemists. You can create whatever life it is you want. However, you, you, there are some things that are in your control and some things that are out of your control. You know, it is in my control to make sure nobody in my home is hungry. It is out of my control to fix world hunger. I do what I can, but it's not something I can control. Anything in your own life you can control. Now, you can, the the problem is we're made up of our patterns. So you always have to address the fact that you simply don't see what you don't see, which is why working in groups is so important. It's why my Instagram is devoted to people giving each other intuitive hits. My other stuff I put on the website, I put on Twitter, I put on Facebook, but all I put on Instagram are things that that create situations where people give each other their intuition because it's very hard to read yourself, even for the most brilliant intuitive, because of course you don't see what you don't see and you are you are part and parcel and held together by your habits and experience. But you can change a lot. Now, I'm 62 years old. If if my goal was to be a ballet dancer, I could probably, and this is an actual thing that happened. You know what? I'm not going to give you a hypothetical. I'm going to give you an actual thing. (laughs) Before I wrote the book, The Circle, I used to have these monthly groups where people would really set an intention and we would exchange intuitive readings and healings and, and, and work with what eventually became the book, The Circle. And there was one woman, and here I am, I'm in, I may be 25 years old. And there was one woman who was so old, she was like 53. Um, and I, and she, her goal was to be a dancer. And even though I truly have experienced that we create miracles, I thought, wow, this one's a real long shot. But, you know, she did it and she came month after month. She came and worked and got readings. This woman started a dance troupe of all of these kind of creative dancers that actually had some good success. And it, I mean, it took her about a year and a half and she worked on the same thing. And I was really shocked and it really kind of hit me at the place in me 
that is really a scientist and not a believer and not a mystic because I was like, wow, I, 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 this taught me something that anything is possible, but that part of it is that we work with the world. So no, she didn't become a prima ballerina for the New York city ballet, but she did become a successful performer and actually had her own troupe and people paid for the tickets and got what she wanted in the way she could have it. And a lot of times what we want is is really based on what we didn't have and not what we really want right now. You know, like, boo-hoo, okay, you didn't get piano lessons. But what you really want right now might be to be able to be seen for your thoughts and be a speaker or be a performer in another way. Like it's, it's, you work with the world. You are part of the world. You know, none of us, none of us are isolated. And that's one thing intuition teaches you is that we are hearing and feeling and seeing and affecting each other all of the time, even in our sleep. Wow. Laura, so you talk about how we have, you know, creative agency over our life by, um, you know, setting an intention, setting a goal. What about um, for folks who maybe just are not getting answers? You know, what do you, what do you tell them? What do you, um, what's kind of like the advice for people that are just not able to get it? Because I think that's like the biggest uh, pushback that I have heard from people. They're like, oh, I've set an intention. I haven't been able to achieve this. Do you think that there's also some, I would, I'm using greater power because I don't have a better word, but do you think there's some Absolutely not. No. Okay. There's no greater power. We are, you are a piece of everything. In you is everything. There is no greater power. There is no higher power there, but it is important to remember that you are part of everything. And so when you strike somebody unnecessarily, you are actually striking. When you injure outwardly, you are actually injuring a part of self as well. Um, So I absolutely don't think that setting an intention, you know, it's funny, people use this word manifestation. Mm -hmm. And it's once again, magicalizing manifestation is making something happen. When I cook dinner, I have manifested a meal. And when you bring it back down to what's tangible and real, okay, let's say your goal is love. Um, And one of the things that that the process asks you to do is, okay, what is love? Okay, who did you meet today that you felt love for? Oh, what got in the way here? Like It is a process. Life isn't, it, it is both, we create magic and it's not magic. It is all process. You are, you are building all of the time. You know, we all talk about spirit and spirit being so evolved. No, if you really believe in healing and intuition and spirituality, we're all spiritual already. Being a really successful human being, whatever that means to you, that evolves spirit. You don't need to be more spiritual. You need to learn to be, we all, I say you, I'm including myself in this because I have my own struggles. You know, we need to learn to be humans more successfully. And one of those things is to like take the neuroticism out of it. If what you want to do is make a lot of money, that may be meaningful for you. And you can sit and judge that and other people can sit and judge that. But 
But in the endeavor to do that, if, if you allow yourself to also learn things about yourself in the world, not only will you make a lot of money, but you will also become someone you really love and do things with all that money you've made that are important to you. So it is a work with the world. And if something is not happening for you, it's because you're magicalizing. Just setting an intention doesn't do it. Yes, it does start the process and in a powerful way, but it doesn't do it. There are, I've reduced it to nine steps and I actually originally used this with companies and it's in the circle. And it is setting an attention. It's then being fully present in the moment. Forget, you know, wishes and fears and dreads and blah, 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 blah. If you just deal with this moment, most of the time you can deal with it. And what you do is you change your telepathy. So you change the pattern of energy quite literally and measurably that everybody is feeling and that engages you in different patterns of life. And in doing that, all of a sudden, your outer experiences change, and you encounter different things in people. And then you make new choices. Am I going to react to this in an old way? Or what is required? Let me see what I'm what I'm how I'm led to react to this in this moment in a new way. So for example, when I was looking for love, I grew up in an era where you really weren't allowed to hang out with boys. And so I wasn't very welcoming to men. My friends were women, except for the partner I was, you know, with. And at the moment, I had no partner. And I realized, wow, when I like a man, I, I'm defensive and off-putting about not letting them be too close because I was born in 1959, and that's what we did. We kept a distance. I said, gee, maybe that is not a winning strategy <laughs> if I'm looking to let someone in. So those things literally smack you in the face. And and there there are nine elements of the circle. They're 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 online everywhere. I, I mean, I love doing the workbook, but they're online everywhere. You can just kind of even go to Amazon, and I know one of my reviewers listed all nine elements. But those nine elements are the elements that it takes to bring something from a goal to a goal achieved. And by the way, I always know when I'm about to uh, you know, achieve a wish or a goal or manifest or whatever anyone calls it, because I begin to get bored with it because I have most of it already. You know, I mean, the, the minute I was, I was in love, I was all of a sudden totally focused on all the children in the environment. Like I was, wasn't worried about love anymore. I mean, I was, you know, I was clearly going to be with this person or what I, you know, once it was solved, I worried about something else. Once my family solved, I'll probably become re-obsessed with my career. Once that's solved again, I'll probably become re-obsessed about my ability to do a grand plié. I mean, you know, it, we're always a work in progress. People say, oh, I'm healed. I'm like, oh, well, then you're dead and preparing for your next set of life or problems <laughs> or whatever, because there's no such thing. If the process is the destination. What does they say? The journey is the destination. And that's really, that's really true. Usually, if you are not creating what you want in your life, even using a good methodology, it's because there is a part of yourself that 
that either feels that what you are creating is deeply dangerous. So you're not working with manifestation or intuition. You're actually working with your subconscious. Um, so if you, that, that, so I'm, I'm just trying to think the second part of that sentence. I'm so sorry. ADHD in action. No but so you you either feel that it's deeply dangerous or it actually is deeply dangerous or dishonoring to you and you're being protected. So the perfect example of that is people who want to like hit it big in the lottery. Well, boy, you know, if you think you need to hit it big in the lottery, if that's really a life goal, your life goal is really to to then at the at this moment make a lot of money. And if that's really your life goal, and the only way you think you can achieve that is through the lottery, then you really don't think very much about yourself. And that's the real issue. And that's the issue that is going to come up in many different areas of your life to be resolved before you can win the lottery. I once made a wish, and and I, I want to say by by means of excusing myself, I was probably 22 at the time. <laughs> I made a wish and I wanted to, um, uh, to, to make $3 million, which seemed to me just an unthinkable amount of money at that time. And then I kind of forgot about that wish and I got distracted by all the things 20 year olds do. So then I, 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 again, made the wish when I, when I, when my son was a baby and like, but the wish was different. The wish was, I want to be a full-time stay-at-home son with my mom, with my, a full-time stay-at-home mom with my son. But I had just left my husband and I couldn't travel for work anymore. I didn't know how I was going to do that. And at a play space, which is like an indoor playground, an agent saw something that I was writing, which was really just my own work uh, that I was doing on myself trying to get myself out of the situation I put myself in with no money and a newborn. And, and she said, Oh, wow, what is that? And I said, Oh, nah, my scribbling, I'm doing my own intuitive stuff on myself. And she said, Well, that's a book. I said, Nah, she goes, No, I'm a top agent. That's a book. My second and third book sold for $3 million. Oh my goodness. You know, and then of course, like any normal, like any normal greedy human, I said, oh my God, I should have said 50. But, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, the reality was when I was young and I forgot about it, it was really about how am I going to take care of myself in the world? And by the time that I got the, the wish I had even forgotten about, it, it, it was about, wow. I have now grown into somebody who values my ability because, by the way, my intuition saying to someone, I'm sorry, your grandmother died two days before your grandmother died does not make you popular in second grade. Mm. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's it, it. My intuition was my freakiness until I was in a situation where I was tested and everyone got interested and it was televised and I had this following. And then that was a whole other set of weird you know, so it's 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 so important that you that everybody realize that we really do on a very deep level, no matter how damaged you think you are, we want the best for ourselves. So if you're not getting something, there's probably a really good reason that you have, not God, not the universe, not karma 
there's a good reason you have for not getting it. What is that reason? If I had gotten $3 million at 22, I never would have written books. I never would have done anything else in my life because at 22, I wasn't raised to feel that I was much of anybody at all. I was just some little scrawny weirdo. But when I needed to do it and I had grown up and I had matured and I had addressed some of those issues of being devalued as a child and, you know, I'm the child of a suicide and a narcissist. When I had addressed like those issues and done the work, they said, oh yeah, $3 million won't hurt her now. In fact, we'll give her five, which is, by the way, what I made in that two-year period. So fascinating. While being a full-time stay-at-home mother to my son, because I had the only book contract in the industry that had no press clause. I was not required to do press. Wow. Wow. Fascinating. I, I'm so uh, interested in your journey. Um, I read a little bit about, um, what happened with your mom and of course, um, you know, with your son. So I'm just, yeah, curious if you could tell us some of the highlights that got you to where you were today. And, um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was raised in a very disturbed and abusive family. I'm, I have a very lot, not a spiritual creative mind. I have a very logical mind. I went to Stuyvesant High School in New York, which is all math and science nerds. And I was, I was both the strange kid because I didn't know that I uh, had a little bit more of something than most people do. So I would, I would say things to people that they were thinking or, or answer questions that they had just thought which is a little off-putting. On the other hand, because my intuition also allowed me to connect with people on a deep level, I actually found a very friendly world. I was able to connect with people and resources that I needed. I mean, I have two siblings who have suicided and the other one doesn't function. I survived really because I had this naturally intuitive brain, which is, by the way, a damaged brain, which is for another interview. So, so I, I, um, I kind of married my, my, the first boy I met at 16. I didn't get married at 16. I waited till I was 20. And I really didn't have much confidence in myself, but I was always the person who people had questions for, I predicted very naturally, but I didn't think of it as prediction. I just kind of thought I was smart. Um, and, um, and I had, you know, not a good sense of self except being of use to others. I really didn't have a good ego structure. So I'm wondering, I'm here I am, I'm 21. I'm thinking, wow, like, why am I even here? Nobody really needs me. I can't really do anything. I don't really, I like, I just didn't feel very useful or purposeful or anything, frankly, or very happy. And I was asking myself kind of the, why am I here question? And I saw this TV show on research that was being done on the extended capacities of the human mind. And things like um, medical intuition, uh, being able to tell the future, remote viewing, and I, I, um, they didn't call them those names. They didn't really have names for them back then. We're talking about the early '80s. Um, and I called this the head of this research program, and I said, you know, I can do what you're talking about. And I didn't know what intuition was or psychic or none, none of that. 
But I just said what you were describing, something that happens to me all the time. And he started talking and talking and talking. I mean, now I have very bad ADHD, so I'm an awful listener. If your question is more than two seconds long, I've forgotten it. <laughs> so, I, so I stopped him. And I said, because I mean, he was clearly disappointed. Here's this scrawny little girl who walks into his, his you know, office. I said, you know what? Why don't you just put a name in an envelope? So I put a name in an envelope. And I said, okay, physically, and I'm the daughter of a doctor, so I can kind of speak the language of the body. Physically, this man has a weak heart. I think he's prone to a heart attack, maybe in the next three to five years. And, and, and I think that he's blah, blah, blah. And I told him a lot about his life. I, he wrote the foreword for my, one of my books. But, um, and, and then I also, though, confusingly saw this other man who had just, and, and mind you, I am a shy not sexually particularly savvy 21-year-old, I said he's just lost the use of his, and I started with my hand to make a gesture to show the male organ, but that looked like I was so embarrassed that was looked like masturbating, basically. And I said, and I see all these pictures, and he's an artist. And, and for a moment, the guy looked at me with his confusion, and then he started this, and he was this amazing Merlin-like man, this raucous laughter, because he put his first name in the envelope that was also his best friend's first name. Well, his best friend ha was an artist. This guy was a medical doctor and the head of a whole region who was later arrested in the whole, like, with a heart problem. This guy was an artist, his friend was an artist who had MS and had just lost his sexual function. And so immediately there, you know, every, I was kind of passed around to all of these different uh, scientists who wanted to do, who wanted a, a lab rat, you know, who wanted an experimental subject. And they'd say, well, can you view this location if we give you coordinates? And I'd say, well, I don't know if I'll try, but I'll try. Can you tell us what's wrong with this machine? I don't know but I'll try. Or illegal things like, can you tell us where artifacts are buried in this place in Rome? I don't know, but I'll try. I didn't know that it was illegal. I mean, I was a young, you know, I was a 20 something year old. <laughs> um, but so, so I really answered every question with, I don't know, but I'll try because I didn't know what like a psychic was or an intuitive was. All I knew was what they were describing was what I was doing. And um, they taped a lot of the experiments and I, I did it on the um, condition of anonymity because this was my weirdness. This was not my gift, you know. And they, uh, without my permission, televised one of the experiments. And so here I am, early twenties, and I have this instant following. And I, what I just, but no, no, no theory, no philosophy behind it, you know. I, um, that the understanding of how to show other people how to utilize it really came through my doing it. And I chose mostly to work with business because people, I, first of all, I was not, you know, I was a 20 something year old. I thought, what, what if I make a mistake with a person? You know, I could be the only voice in their life, but with a business, I'm one of many people. So I started working a lot with business um, with politicians, with medicine. I did um, some research with uh, a wonderful, uh, one of the wonderful HIV researchers. And I didn't try to, I didn't have anything to prove. So it wasn't like I was trying to convince somebody intuition existed. Um, this man, the doctor was referred to me by his, his partner. 
And he came in and actually initially was really rude. He was going to please his boyfriend. And I said, oh, and you're doing research. And I feel in this 500 patient sampling, you're going to have three people who have severe renal symptoms that did not come up on the questionnaire that's going to throw the blah, blah, blah. And he looked at me as if I had grown like green horns and said, (laughs) okay, let's work together. And he was completely (laughs) open because people were dying of AIDS. I mean, really in droves back then, they didn't know what it was. And and they were, and I have not found, by the way, that people, even in the 80s, people, you know, uh, yeah, everyone likes to be snarky and questioning at a party, but people like business people, doctors, mathematicians, engineers, they don't care how you get the information, they just care if it works. And I tell this to my students all the time as long as you're right, Forget the philosophy. Who cares? Who knows? But you can prove your information, and that's what's important. So I've tended to work always with the mainstream. I, I, I have never been one to want to fly my freak flag. <laughs> Too much of that in my early childhood. Um, and that's how I train my students. Now, of course, you can use this for many esoteric things. There's a very sweet young woman um, who lost her mother four years ago. And I let her mother basically come into me and talk to her. And it's all proof of things she can prove. And I even let her mother hug her. I let her mother use my body to hug her because this is such an extraordinary young woman. Um, But, you know, and, and I don't think about a lot of, is there life after death? Well, I don't know. All I know is an energy is coming in saying things I know nothing about to this, you know, 25 year old. And I don't even know what I'm saying at a certain point. And the 25 year old is crying and saying, yes, mom. And I'm like, okay, I don't need to analyze this. I just need to know that it's useful. I think we do too much. Is this, what is this? Does this mean there's life after that? Does this mean blah, blah? It doesn't matter. It matters if it's useful. Life is hard and life can be amazing. And it's always a little of both. And it's very important that what it is we employ is useful to us. It really is. We put so many judgments and limitations on ourselves. And listen, think of your first five minutes of the morning. You know, you get up, you get dressed, you pee, you have to brush your teeth. Who are you going to eat? You pack your bag, you da da da. That's already overwhelming. We're all miracles. Laura, and you know, you mentioned on your journey that you're focusing more on business and, you know, and obviously you're teaching all these folks how to become intuitive. So you're kind of like, you know, shepherding a, a whole new world of people who, who can do this and help others. Um, I, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Uh, I, I honestly feel like I could talk to you all day. You have such an incredible wealth of information to share. I'm very fascinated. I was, um, listening to an interview with, uh, I think her name is Laura Lynn Jackson. Um, and she mentioned how much your work uh, really inspired her. And so you've been in this business for so long. I mean, what have you seen has shifted in the last 30 years? Like, do you think people have become more open to this space? Has it been kind of neutral? Uh, where do you see, where do you see the world going when it comes to tapping into intuition? 
Well, first of all, this space didn't exist in 1982. I mean, there were some completely dysfunctional people in fifth floor walk-ups smelling of cat pee who looked at crystal balls, <laughs> but it really didn't exist. There were a couple people like uh, that were trained by the government. You know, there were people you know that, that the Russians had trained. That there were a couple people who who did this, but they didn't do it as popular culture. Um, it was really more about research, to be honest, when when in the early 80s, the word intuition just wasn't part of the vernacular. We didn't we didn't use it. Um, but what I will say is that it was a little cleaner back then, because if you couldn't prove it, you were a fraud. It, what scares me a little now is that there are all these kind of manifestation, spiritual tech, there's a glut of it. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. So if something's not helping you pretty quickly, probably don't waste time, energy, and money on it. Um, but the upside is that that you can train people to do this as a living in a way that's not weird, that's very data-oriented. I started with business. I actually have gotten weirder as I have gotten older. I don't see private clients anymore, but I certainly encourage them to contact me and I refer them to somebody that I've trained and they will get a very wonderful grounded reading. So the, the change has really, you know, in the 80s, I worked with doctors, I worked with pharmaceutical companies, I worked with businesses, I worked with, you know, celebrities and production companies. I, I worked with all kinds of people in the 80s. It wasn't a matter of belief. People use what works. I think what's what's interesting is now, first of all, you can take me off as a tax deduction as a professional for a company. Um, <laughs> but but I think what's interesting is now. There's such a huge market for for intuitives and, you know, people also with kind of dubious training and nobody knows what it means anymore. I almost like the early 80s better when it was like, well, you're either right or wrong. And if you're wrong, forget it. Now there's so much belief involved. Intuition is not a tool, is not a belief. It is a tool. You can verify it. It is not always 100 percent. Because we interpret, just like we make mathematical errors, just like we make scientific errors. Um, so it's really important. It is really important to to use intuition as a tool. And the difference I've seen is it's become a huge, huge multi-billion dollar business. And a lot of it, it you know, everybody is intuitive. But you do need training to be a helpful intuitive, to be an ethical intuitive. Imagine an intuitive that only tells you things that scares you, scare you so that you come back again, or an intuitive who's only 50% right. So how do you know which is part is right and which part is wrong? You know, it, it is important to go to people with training, and it's also important. And what I see that I love now is that people are using intuition and community, and that's my soapbox before covid I was going around the world and for free at like Unitarian churches or YMCA, you know, any place that would give me a big room for free. I was teaching people in half an hour how to do a simple reading and then having them read each other and doing 
healing, doing laying on of hands on 800 people in a night with other healers and teaching them then to do it for one another. Because we should and can do this in community. You, someone else's intuition that's not ruled by your fears and feelings can be life-saving for you and life-guiding for you. And someone else's healing, you know, it's hard to heal yourself because, of course, you protect your vulnerabilities. Someone else's healing, even if they're not some superstar expensive trained healer, you know, but just another community member or or club member or church member or synagogue member, you know, can can heal you. And we we tend to think in terms of somebody's and nobody's, but everybody's an intuitive and everybody's a healer. So my soapbox is let's do this in community. Say to somebody you don't know. I have a question written down on this piece of paper. All I want you to do is report every place your attention goes right now, and I'm going to write it all down. Don't worry about being right or wrong. Just pretend you know the question and you're answering it for me. And and sometimes you will, most of the time actually, if you look at that information and then put it together and interpret it, you'll have your socks blown off. Wow. So fascinating. Laura, maybe we can uh, do a community <laughs> uh, session in the Middle East. Uh, we have a, a lot of uh, folks in the Middle East, so I think that that might be an interesting region. Uh, I'm not sure if you've well, ever been Well, by there. the way, there was, there was something called the TM Peace Project where people did, um, did focus on peace together at a certain time and violence stopped in certain regions. But here's part of the problem. And this is, brings us back to your first question of, you know, why don't people get what they want? Half of the people want one thing, another half want another, and maybe another piece want another. So there's, there's a lot of conflictual goals. And, and, you know, the more we can find agreement and work with, the more we can create with intuition. So that's a lesson for all of us. You know, work with what's there. You know, if you're a short person, work to be a hot short person. Don't try to look taller. You know, work with what you have and you will be able to create what it is you want. And there are no somebodies and nobodies with intuition. Everybody has something to offer you. You have something to offer. Even if it's your worst pond slime moment, and believe me, we all have them. And I loved the Middle East. I actually went there with, I was teaching with Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra 23 years ago. And my son was six. He was the only child on the trip. And we went through Egypt. And then I went to Israel and worked with a group of Israeli surgeons. And it, it was an incredible place. But just like, you know, I mean, I look at our wealthy country where we have people who are homeless and hungry, and it is really, you know, I, if we could just pick, just like I, you need to do with intuition, two or three things that we think are really important and agree on them, um, food, shelter, and kindness, or food, shelter, and education, and kindness, we would then be able to contextualize all of our differing uh, beliefs about it and work together powerfully and intuitively to create a different world. And I really think the internet is helping with that. I think, I think this, I have a lot of faith in this younger generation. They are communicating remotely the same way you can do telepathically, but they're using the computer to do it. 
and they're enlightening each other and they're doing things about it. So I, I, I have a lot of, a lot of, um, I have faith in the future and I have evidence that that's possible. Wow. That's awesome. I got a full body chill for that. <laughs> uh, Laura, just last couple questions. I know we're running over time. Um, you consulted Demi Moore in the movie Ghost, which was one of my favorite films when I was younger. And I'm just so curious, you know, how was that experience for you? And what was it like to become known as the psychic to the stars? You know, you've worked with people like Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt and others. What, you know, has, has surprised you about that? So two different questions, but hopefully relatable. I, you know, it's, it's funny because really um, I'm known as the financial intuitive with financial <laughs> markets. I'm known as, as the medical intuitive with doctors and, and research companies. I think that the, the more celebrity stuff has just gotten noticed because there's paparazzi and I, and I get caught on camera or when I have a book party, they show up for me. Um, so, so I, I think that, um, and, and Demi and I have been good friends since our early twenties. And, um, and I, you know, for, I think everybody, don't we all, aren't we all kind of celebrities in our own world? I think, <laughs> I, I do think that celebrity itself, um, has some extra challenges because not only do we have to get over what our society does to us and what our parents say to us, but oh my God, you can't avoid your own press. You know, I think it's, it's, you, you lose and gain something, but I think that's true when you're visible and big in any way. So they're really, they're really, um, you know, there really hasn't, you know, I, I was just sitting with Demi Loomer, Scout and Tallulah, and they were listening to my problems. I mean, I, I people are people are people, and there is no such thing in my, in my experience as a celebrity of the star, uh, intuitive of the stars, or a medical intuitive, or a business intuitive. Intuition's an idiot's gift. You ask it a question, and it gives you information, but then it's your job to act on it. Um, I'm a real introvert. So for example, when, when, when my, when our kids were little and we'd, I don't know, go to FAO Schwartz together, I'd make, I'd walk out a different door than Demi and her kids, because it's just so, it's such an overwhelming life to be inundated wherever you go. Although my apartment in New York is magically paparazzi proof. And by the way, I, I love the paparazzi too. They have to make a living and people are interested and they they're so cute and they send me sweet pictures sometimes of my son that I would never have otherwise. So, you know, I think that we we um it's really important to realize that that the person today who may be sweeping the stairs of your building may actually be, you know, Bruce Willis tomorrow. I mean, life is a process. And the longer we live, the more lives we get to have in one single life. And I've, you know, Demi wrote an amazing book called Inside Out. Look at what she started with. Boy, she was destined for the grave, not for stardom. She was destined for, I mean, she, boy, that girl was given no breaks. Whoever puts together early childhood certainly didn't you know, didn't, didn't really wanted her to have lots of struggles. Read that book inside out. 
And, and you'll see that you too, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter what limb you're missing, you know, the supermodel with no legs or no lower leg, I mean, you, you decide what your life is. And that's not always easy. We all have, we all have a vulnerability. We all have a strength. And it's, it's, you know, it is setting an intention, which is really just making a choice, make a choice in your life, and then don't stop until that choice has happened. And you will be confronted over and over with the ways to make it happen. And I'm very grateful to a lot of the, you know, high profile people that I've worked with, um, whether it's James Watson, who's a Nobel Prize winner, who gave me a quote for a book, or the medical doctors who've given me quotes, or the celebrities who've made sure that an uninterested press show up for, you know, my first book event. You know, it's, it's, we can lend our power to one another. And once again, everybody has a power. But so that the power of celebrity is even greater in a sense than the power of money. It can create anything, but then it's also vulnerability because everybody wants something from you. So notice each of you, what is right now in your life, what is your power and what's your vulnerability? And then ask for protection, ask for support for those vulnerabilities, ask for people to share with you and offer what you have. And when you do that, that is the circle you'll notice that you live in a very abundant world. Mm. So inspiring. Laura, I haven't read the book, The Circle, but since you've brought it up so much, uh, I'm going to order it as soon as this uh, interview is over. Um, And I wanted to also just ask like, what has surprised you the most in this journey? You know, and I love, I love, by the way, just to go back to that last point, how you're almost like equalizing everyone, you know, you're not making someone more hierarchical or better than others. And I, I just, I love that so much because I think so much of culture, especially at least Western culture and American culture is about the desire to be famous, you know, in any aspect of life. Um, and we're seeing that kind of play out with social media, um, and influencers, but yeah, I wanted to ask, why do you, why do you think this subject is so important and what has surprised you the most? You know what has, I think, um, surprised me the most is, is that by and large, my experience is our, our early history, our childhoods give us patterns and we create our own limitations and our own problems. I mean, I know a quadriplegic who's a Harvard graduate and who is a PhD and teaches at Stony Brook and has written a book now. I, you know, I met her, I don't know, 35 years ago. You wouldn't, when after she was hit by a car, you wouldn't think that would be her journey. And yet it is. Life is what you make it. And, and I think what surprised me about my journey is that really, if you look around with the idea that help is there, you will find help. And if you feel that if you are not X, Y, or Z, no one will be there, you will find no one. We tend to find what we look for. Now, that doesn't mean deny the evils and the wrongs and the problems and the things you need to work on, but it means, you know, your energy flows where your attention goes. So, 
so put your attention on the can do of the moment and not the can't do or the don't have or the unfair. You know, what can you do in this moment? You know, you're worried about equality. Well, go out there, donate money, donate your time. You can do, you, you know, you, you can find a voice somewhere in a community, you know, and so, and in our own lives, I think often we do feel overwhelmed, you know, pare things down. It, rich people, they did a study and there's actually, and it's not a huge amount of money. There's an amount of money at which people are the happiest. And it's actually not the super celebrities or the super rich. And it's obviously not the people who can't put food on their table for their children. It's where you just kind of get to have a purpose, work for your money and live your life. I think that we all want to to have a purpose and that a lot of this kind of social media stuff, although I personally can't wait to have a million followers on Instagram, <laughs> but, but all of this social media stuff is really just each of our right and obligation to be seen and heard and be purposeful to others in the world. And I really think that it's just kind of a, a frilly version of that because I look at a lot of these influencers and yeah, they want to be famous and get a lot of free crap, but they also, they want to say, Hey, I'm here. I see you're here too. Let's do something together. Maybe I'm too young to know what that something is quite yet, but I want a community. You know, there's always in all of that good. And I think it's, it's certainly good to be skeptical. It's certainly good to have judgments and know what you want to be a part of and not a part of, but maybe not be too rigid about it. But it's also good to say, okay, what's the, what's the potential here? And you know, I'm from a fairly judgmental generation. And I, I, I look at some of what a lot of people would say is silliness. And I think, wow, you know, this this is a kid who's actually, yeah, so what she's really doing is wearing a new outfit every day. But wow, look a year later how she's showing you how to eat more healthfully. She's showing someone who doesn't have the money to join a gym how to keep their body strong. Wow, maybe this silly person learned something by getting their needs met and now has a purpose. Maybe that silliness was actually instructive. So, you know, don't be too quick. I try. I say this to myself. <laughs> don't be too quick to judge. Mm, thank you for that. Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, I haven't heard that reframe and, uh, you know, I didn't think about it that way. And it does feel mm. like the next generation is very much interested in, in really, uh, I think I heard this somewhere. I'm not 100% sure about the exact number, but it was close to like 70 or 80% of this next generation is interested in having um, their own YouTube channel. That would, that would be like their preferential job. Um, so I think you're spot on in terms of people wanting to feel like what they have to say matters and, you know, how they want to contribute to the world matters. So, But also look, what, look at what you're doing. I mean, you are finding people that you think are useful to your audience. You are a teacher and a healer. And whatever personal reasons you do that for some of them may be neurotic and based on lack some of them may be altruistic and based on 
a real deep purpose and kindness. And it doesn't really matter because you're doing a good thing. Mm. Yeah. And we're all, we're all in a process of growth. You know, one of the jokes I used to um, always tell is I used to train a lot of healers, especially in diagnosis. And, and the famous ones would get something like strep, where if you don't take an antibiotic and healing doesn't work fast enough, you can get rheumatic fever. People used to die of strep. So, and my father was a doctor and I, you know, whatever, I actually am about to admit to doing something I shouldn't admit to doing. But, um, but uh, let me just say that a lot of, a lot of people I know who are healers and get an illness they have to treat medically are very secretive about it. Being a healer doesn't mean you're perfect. And what you want as a healer or an intuitive, if you're an ethical practitioner, is you want the very best for, the pe- for yourself and you want the very best for the people that you're working with. And being a purist does not get you the very best. It, you know, when, when my son had strep, I had the doctor watch it. And when it didn't go away, you bet I got him a penicillin prescription, even though I am also a powerful healer. Because in that moment, penicillin was a more powerful healer in that instance. So yes. do what's best for you. Don't be too much of a purist. You know, people are afraid of food now. You know, everyone's drinking these green juices. I can't walk down the street without <laughs> gagging. I mean, you know, food is good for you. And let your intuition choose foods that are good for you. But maybe sometimes a slice of bread slathered with butter is good for you. Maybe not so good for the environment, but that's a whole other question. You know, pick it. You've got to pick your battles. That's one thing we learn in, in parenting and in life. Pick your battles and don't make everything outside of you or outside of control your enemy. Often it's the thing that comes from left field that knocks you off your pedestal that actually makes you find the garden you were looking for below. Mm. Wow. So inspiring. I love how you're so non-judgmental. I mean, there's such a level of forgiveness in your approach. Oh, I'm totally judgmental. I'm absolutely (laughs) judgmental, but I'm working very hard on that because it's not effective in life. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, I think also like having access to all the knowledge that you have is probably even more difficult to practice this, you know, non-judgment and Right. So I just, I love how forgiving you are. And and so thank you so much for that. I found this conversation to be incredibly inspiring and I have a lot to think about uh, in terms of even just how I've been seeing the world. And so I'm sure that the audience will feel the same way. And Laura, are there any resources then that uh, you can point folks to in order to learn, to learn more about you? And also you mentioned that you're teaching uh, folks how to become intuitive. Uh, can you tell us about that program and how it works? I'd love to. First of all, uh, I have a, on uh, Laura Day Circle on YouTube, I have a lot of videos like how to do an Instagram reading. Then on Instagram, people, some of them professionals, because part of the way I train the people I send students to is I look at their readings on Instagram. So a lot of professional intuitives are giving uh, readings on my Instagram. But also, if you're a beginner, don't be shy. Watch the little YouTube video and give it a try. And you'll see that you are far better at this just naturally than you knew you were. At lauraday.com, I uh, send out a newsletter because we always work as a group 
on some element of creating something new in our life every few weeks or every month. Um, we'll, we've been working on sleep work and and creating a real unity, you know, finding people who can help us, who we can help with our goals. That's what we've been working on for the last few weeks. So lardae.com, sign up for the newsletter because there's so much uh, there's so much information there and it really is in a sense like a, a, a little free book because we have a project and then I give instructions. There's free healing that I do on Instagram. All my articles and interviews are on Laura Day Intuit on Twitter. Um, I've written six books and they're, they're really for different things. The circle is the life process that I use. It's really without having to register and follow all the information. How do you reset your intuition? So it just takes you to the right place. And how do you deal with the inner conflicts that come up as you change to be the person who can meet your goals and your dreams? So I love the circle as a starting point just to integrate intuition in a productive way in, may, in having a better life. Um, and then I've written other books for different kinds of training. I mean, practical intuition is really the basic training in intuition. Um, and how to rule the world from your couch takes apart different skills like astral projection or precognition or telepathy and really shows you how to do it and also shows you how to keep other people from, you know, intruding on your life too much from a distance um, Welcome to your Crisis what is really a great book uh, for people who hit rock bottom because I, I did a lot of, I, and I still do a lot of uh, pro bono work for things like uh, drug companies and hospitals and doctors. And so that book was vetted by a lot of people. And what it does is really when you're in crisis and basically everything's fallen apart and you you know, have nothing to hang on to. How do you use that state as an opportunity? And 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 how do you get it together quickly so you're on to your next solid ground? And so it really each book it depends where you are in your life. And um, but the circle is the one that that I use every day, and that we as a group use just as a process because really. It's not about being more healing or more spiritual, more intuitive. It's about how can I have a better life that I enjoy? Mm. Amazing. Amazing. And we'll include all the links to the books and your website all on the, um, in the show notes. So thank you so much for your time, Laura Day. It's been such a pleasure. <laughs> I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. <laughs> And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about how to harness the power of your intuition. And you can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one -on -one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Thanks again.